You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Well, good morning. Good to be with you guys. So great to be with you. We're jumping into kind of part two of this message series. And just FYI, the, the, we're doing three services, so sorry for some of you, you might have showed up at the wrong time. Uh, we're just trying this out. Our first service is going great, so thank you for all of you who are helping make that possible through giving or serving. That's really awesome. So folks are really enjoying that. Perhaps maybe for 10 months or so, they hadn't been to a church service. They were able to come this morning, so it was really, really cool. So can we celebrate that real quick? That's good. And then another, another thing is, is, as this service is growing, another option, just FYI, you want to try it out next week, not everybody, but our third service, uh, after, the, after service, we provide a free lunch, so it's kind of a fun deal. And uh, my daughter's working the cafe this morning, and she's like, Dad, we still got that free lunch thing going? I said, we do, sweetie. So she's like, yes. So uh, thanks to a generous donor, uh, made that possible, so we're really grateful, and so uh, last uh, week, I got to stand up at the third service. I said, hey, just FYI, if y'all all want to have lunch, it's, we got it covered, and everybody stayed. So, <laughs> Never pass up a free meal. Hey, that's the way Jesus did ministry anyway, right? He's always feeding people. So um, we're going to be looking at the life of Jesus and, and jumping into God's Word together. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it up. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 21 that's where we're going to be. It's a lot of uh, fun to look at the Christmas story, but I don't know, just did you know that the only passages of Scripture that deal specifically with the birth of Jesus Christ are in two places, Matthew and Luke. That's it. In fact, it was uh, uh, early in church history, um, there were many uh, 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 centuries that went on where Christmas wasn't even really celebrated but Easter was always celebrated. That's why we have church on Sunday. It's a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I don't want to downplay cool Christmas, but I do want you to start thinking about how, how Christmas kind of gets lost in the, in the meaning and the purpose. And we're going to look at, last week we looked at the one and the only section in uh, uh, Luke's gospel about the birth of Jesus Christ. Today we're looking at Matthew. So there's four Gospels. These Gospel writers um, write uh, detailed accounts about the life of Jesus Christ, but uh, John and Mark, they don't even talk about the birth of Jesus Christ. But Matthew, he does. Uh, He uh, records it pretty clearly, and so we're going to jump in. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 21, it says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. So he's clarifying, this is how it happened. Hey, everybody, he's going to record in historical context what happened. He says this was a supernatural deal, this birth of Jesus. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, meaning they slept together, before that happened, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So that causes a lot of controversy, causes a lot of stir. Having a baby outside of wedlock is not a cool deal, especially back then. In the religious community, you could be stoned to death. This is not good. So Matthew records it, and look what he says about Joseph. Verse 19, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. In other words, he wasn't going to tweet about it or Facebook it. So 
he doesn't want to do this. He doesn't want to ruin her name. But he doesn't believe that this child was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Like, come on, that's an awkward conversation. You're pregnant? We're engaged. Who, who, who's the father? The Holy Spirit. Right. <laughs> sure. So what does God do? This is cool. Verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David. David is King David. Joseph comes from the line of King David. The Messiah is going to come from the line of King David. This is good. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now he's like, whoa, okay. So this is a divine birth. This is a miraculous birth. This is not a normal thing. So angel goes on and clarifies and says this, verse 21, she will bear a son. Who's that son? Jesus. If, if I ever ask you a question, you just say, Jesus, you're good. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, or gray squirrel, one of the two, you'll be fine. Verse 21, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. So I'm going to talk to you about sin today. And the reason why is because this is the very purpose Jesus came. And I think what we've done with Christmas is we've, we took the sin out of it. This is the purpose. The reason for the season we all say Jesus, yeah, it's Jesus, but it's, what's the real reason behind what Jesus is coming for? Because by the way, newsflash, Jesus didn't just get created at the birth. He eternally existed. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. And all things, all things were with Him. And in Genesis, it says, and let us make man in our image. Let us, Father, Son, and, and the Holy Spirit. The Trinity eternally existed. Jesus has been there the whole time. But at Christmas, we celebrate the incarnation of God, but for the purpose of what? Just coming and being our friend? No, the, the, the answer, the real answer is we have a remedy for our sin. We have, a, we have forgiveness. We have grace. No good marriages exist without God's grace. That's probably the biggest problem I see in relationships is people just don't understand grace. They don't understand forgiveness. And they don't know how to deal with sin. And so what I want to do today is I want to clarify what sin is all about. And then I want to help you understand this is exactly why Jesus came. Jesus loved sinners, the friend of sinners, but he wouldn't ever let them stay or live in their sin. And so this is good news. And I'm coming to you not as a perfected pastor or professional pastor. I'm coming to you as somebody whose life was a train wreck and God experienced the grace of God in my life and changed my life. And then every time I tell my teenage kids about my story, they're like, Dad, you were messed up. And that's really a tough thing to do as a parent if you walk that kind of lifestyle, because then what do they say to you? Well, I wasn't as bad as you. And I'm like, I am not your standard for teenagers. Okay? But I experienced the grace of God, and so I want to help you understand the real reason for the season is exactly what the angel said, 
exactly what uh, has been clarified in Scripture in the two birth accounts of Jesus Christ in the Gospels. We're going to unpack that. So first, let me just tell you what sin is. If you're a note taker, outline maker, you might want to jot this down. Sin is any failure to conform to God's ways. God has a way and you have a way. Is any failure to conform to God's ways in action, attitude, or nature? It's easy to understand uh, in action. That means like you just go, you hit somebody. You get mad at them. They, they say, they cut you off and you get to the parking spot and you're like, you jerk. Like, dude, that's terrible. Like, would you really do that? Uh, action. Uh, that's action. That's a sinful action. Attitude is like you're, you're holding a grudge and you're unforgiving. You're uh, bitter and your attitude, you, you exude this everywhere you go. Whose examples of this attitude of sinfulness would be like in the Christmas uh, uh, season, we might think of the Grinch, or we might think of uh, Scrooge. You know, these are folks, their attitude is just really affecting everything about their life. But then it says by nature or, or nature. That means who you are. There's no attitude or action there. I'm talking about just being born. And you, that can come across as offensive, but we're going to unpack that later biblically and see that play out in Scripture, that sin is a big problem. And I'm thankful that somebody in, in the Bible tells us some of the problems, because I see a lot of problems in life. And if I can just get some handles on it and some categories for things, then I know how to deal with it. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's helpful for us to understand there's an issue, and sin is an issue. So the real reason for the season is to celebrate how Jesus came to save us from our sin. And not just salvation, but ongoingly in your Christian life, and it's called sanctification. So number one, three things you need to know about sin is that Jesus just came to deal with sin. He came to deal with it. So when we think about Christmas, we need to remember Jesus came not just to be this really cool prophecy fulfillment that the baby would be born in a manger, although that did happen. Not just that this baby would be born of a virgin, in a vir- have a, the virgin birth. Uh, yes, that happened, according to the prophet Isaiah. Nor just that he would be born in Bethlehem. And yeah, that happened according to the prophet Micah. But he came to do something specifically. Like, that's what I would ask Jesus if I was there when he grew up a little bit, I'd be like, why are you here? And I think he'd say something along the lines of, I'm here to deal with sin. That's good. Because sin is like a, a weight that falls on your shoulders when you're in it. You, something's not right. Your heart's heavy. Your emotional countenance is down. And you're, you can get really discouraged, very depressed, and kind of not even know what's going on. And Jesus comes to deal with that, Matthew and Luke. Let's look at that, two gospel accounts that talk about that. So I'm laying the foundation so you believe me that the real reason for the season is to celebrate that Jesus came to save us from our sin. Matthew 121, we just read it. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. Very clearly, like you can't argue that. That's just, if you can read the Bible in English or hear my voice and believe that's what the scriptures say and double check it for yourself, that's the reason. What about Luke's gospel? Luke says he's a physician and a historian. I said he was like the, uh, uh, the uh, doctor, uh, like we know Dr. Jones and Indiana Jones. This is Dr. Luke. 
He's a historian, he's a physician, very educated man, uh, commissioned by a government official in the uh, Roman Empire by a gentleman by the name of Theophilus to give a historical account of the details of Jesus's life. He says this, uh, records with the, what the angel announcement is to the shepherds, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, Bethlehem, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. What's the implied meaning behind that? He's a Savior. What does he save us from? Sin. He's a Savior. We don't need Jesus until we realize that we need saving. Because we are so many times in our own uh, days, our own Savior. Self-sufficient. That's the American spirit at times. That's the Arizona spirit. It's a rugged individualist. And don't get me wrong, I I appreciate that. I I like the the hardworking attitude and and the, the, the culture of pioneering but it can be problematic when you apply that into your relationship with God. Because the Bible says God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. Pride's not always bad. I mean, it's okay to be, have a good pride about your family or your hard work. But pride in thinking that you're better, perhaps, in God's ways and doing it your way, that, there's a problem there. See, we need saving, ladies and gentlemen. Here's what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.15. He wrote to his young protege who was leading a church, uh, perhaps about the same age of this church. His church is about eight years old, and he's getting started. And, and he says this to his protege, the Apostle Paul. He says, hey, listen to it in the mentorship voice. Hey, Timothy, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Listen to me, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's the Christian message. So when people are weighed down, discouraged, depressed, on a road to destruction, you're like, hey, God came to save, man. He's like your hope. That's the hope, Jesus Christ. He'll meet you right where you're at. You don't have to clean yourself up before you get to God. Like, he comes to you in the middle of your mess. And so... Paul says this, and, and there's just a reality is I think that sometimes we, we can dismiss this and say, save us, save sinners. Well, am I really a sinner? And I want to create two classifications of sinners, if you'll just work with me here for just a moment. And I think every one of us stand in the category of sinner. And you say, but what about all the scriptures that tell me I'm a saint? I agree, you are a saint. Positionally, you're a saint. If you believe in Jesus Christ, his righteousness has been credited to your account. It's called imputed righteousness. And before God, you stand good. However, you still sin. And so Paul saw himself as a sinner and a saint at the same time. Because I've always struggled with that as a, as a Christian. Like, I'm like, am I a sinner or am I a saint? And the answer is, you're both. You're both. So it's, it's, it, it takes off pressure. So when I screw up in the marriage, I just tell my wife, baby, I'm a sinner. Well, you think I'm a saint? I'm not a perfect saint. And for my Catholic friends, I don't mean saint in the same way that you may think I mean it. You know, because saints are like perfect and they did all these crazy cool miracles. No, saint in the Bible means like you're just a Christian. That's all it means. And that you still sin. But positionally, we're called something special. We're saints, but we're also sinners. So two, two classifications with, with this on the sinner category. One is, um, I'll just use my life as an example. So for many years as a believer, uh, or not a believer, as many years as an uh, unbeliever, I lived what I would call an irreligious lifestyle. I mean, I do whatever I want. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, do whatever I want. That's irreligious. 
People would tell me about Jesus and be like, well, I'm glad it works for you. Christianity's a crutch. I don't need it. I'm good. Like, I did not like Jesus. I remember specific times saying things, and I was going into deep seasons of darkness, and I, I tell my kids at times, I'm like, man, I had so many friends around me. They overdosed on drugs, or they took their lives, and like, I do not have a beautiful past. And it, it, when you really think about it, you're like, oof, I don't want to stay there. You're religious. Do whatever you want. You don't love God. Don't care about God. Just do whatever you want. Do whatever you please. And then there's another lifestyle that's called, uh, and that's sinful. Uh, there's another lifestyle, though. It's called the religious lifestyle. And the religious lifestyle can be like, yeah, God's good, but I just, if I do enough good work, then I'm accepted. I don't really need Jesus that much because I don't really need saving. I just need to do lots of good things. If I give money, if I go to church, if I uh, maybe give some uh, serve, and from time to time, I'm a great person. And that's what we often say. Um, do you think you'd go to heaven? Yeah, I think I'd go to heaven. Why? Because I, I do good things. That's a very religious statement. If you think about the Jehovah's Witness or the LDS or um, even in the Catholic Church, it's very heavy works-oriented religion. And, and there's a problem with that because what religion teaches us is that if I do A, B, and C, then maybe I'll be accepted to God. And that is that's a very prideful uh, uh, statement in saying that. There's a sin called the attitude problem right there. Because what it's saying is, if I did all this work, therefore you owe me this. I, I did A, I did B, I did C, you give it to me, God. And religious people can be very mean, very nasty. And you, you think, well, well, what's the context in this? Well, think about the ministry of Jesus Christ. Who did he blast and, and fight with the most? He fought, did he fight with the religious people or the irreligious? He fought with the religious people who thought they were good, thought they were perfect. And he said, you're empty. Like, you look good on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. And if we play church or play Christianity, we're, we stand in the big category of living in sin. If you live in this other lifestyle, this irreligious lifestyle, do whatever you please. You stand in that category, live in that season of irreligious, irreligiosity. And there's a third way. And the third way is just live a new life where you're constantly saying, I don't want the old life. I want the new life. I need, I need your new today, Lord. Uh, the Lamentations in the Bible says God's mercy is new every single day. It's saying every day, I need a little more mercy today. You know, like in Arizona, we worry about running out of water. Uh, as believers, you know, Jesus says he is, he is a, a spring of life. Well, here's the good news about Jesus is his waters, his grace, his mercy never runs out. It's new every single day. You can never exhaust the supply. It's there for you. So we've got to come into this place. You're not going to be refreshed. You're not going to be really encouraged unless you say, okay, I am a saint, but I am a sinner as well, and I need some help. So accept the reality. Jesus came to deal with sin. Number two, everybody does it. So everybody sins, not just some people, not just the religious or the irreligious. Everybody does it. Everybody sins. 
Romans 3.23, the biblical theological uh, proof text to help build this theology of what's called original sin um, is Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, meaning everybody. Everybody's missed the mark. So I'm a hunter. I like to hunt and fish and, and be in the outdoors. And so every once in a while, I'll go target practice and uh, uh, you know, try to sight in my, my, my rifle, and, and guess what? There's plenty of times when I don't have it sighted in, and I can't hit the bullseye. Uh, God's standard is perfection. He wants you to hit the mark. What, what he's saying in the Scripture right here is saying is that all of us basically fall short. We miss the mark. We, we can't hit the bullseye. So, I mean, this gives, to me, it gives categories for people like, when people disappoint me or when I get frustrated with somebody else, I can be like, oh, everybody sins. Everybody screws up. Nobody's perfect. Like, come on. Like, who do we expect we are? Nobody's perfect. We get tired of trying to be on that treadmill of perfection and behavioralism. Everybody does it. All of sin and falling short of the glory of God. So I lower my standards and expectations of people and I'm pleasantly surprised all the time. So I'm like, ah, they made me a promise. I'm like, it might break. That's fine. And then I'm not holding bitterness because the theology of sin has saturated my mind and my thinking for people. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Psalms 51.5, the psalmist said this about the original sin where St. Augustine, our uh, ancient church father, uh, uh, he's not a, like a father father, like you might think God the father. They call it the Father, so-and-so, if you came from Episcopalian background or Catholic background or Anglican background, you know, the, the church leaders were like called fathers. And um, I was a part of an Anglican church for a while, and we called them Father Henry. And I'm like, that's just kind of weird. Like, I don't want to call you father, you know. But And then I learned in church history, it's because like the church is like a family and that the pastor is like a, kind of like the father figure in many ways to the congregation. And we're brothers and sisters in Christ. So I was like, ah, that's kind of cool. But St. Augustine, this ancient church father um, uh, out of North Africa, uh, took this passage to understand. Let's look at it, Psalms 51.5. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. This is uh, King David writing um, before the time of Jesus Christ about understanding the, the origination of sin. And what it means is it, it actually, it's there from the day you are born. And this concept in, in, in Catholic culture and in Protestant culture is this doctrine of uh, agreed upon truth is original sin, meaning you're born into sin. So there's no escaping sin. Like everybody sins. And you're like, even if they don't do anything bad, yeah, that's exactly what it says. You're born into it. And so for you mothers out there, like nobody had to teach your baby how to bite. Nobody had to teach your baby how to hit. Nobody had to teach your baby how to say, mine. Like Schmeagel. Mine, bitches. Original sin. And so it's there. Everybody does it. And the reason why is because somebody, they commit it either uh, in action, attitude, or in nature. Number three, uh, sin leaves us in the dark. So, you know, I don't know if you've ever gone through a season in your life and you're like, man, that was just a rough patch. I got into some bad stuff. Or my marriage is just kind of not going well right now. And you don't even know why. And then 
somebody who's godly and, and a good friend in your life kind of shows up and kind of sees kind of what's going on, it's a fresh set of new eyes, kind of comes in and says, dude, like, you're, you're living in such a way that's so contradictory to Scripture. I think of the relationship with King David, and he had a friend named Nathan, and Nathan came to King David and was like, David, you're, you're living in a lie. And he rebukes David, and David responds and comes back to his senses. And sin can leave you in the dark. In the Bible, the, 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 there's an illustration between uh, light and darkness. And you, you and I know that. I mean, we see it in the movies, right? And the person's on the, on the bed, and they're fighting for their life. And then the, the spouse holds their hand as they're laying on their deathbed. And they're like, just walk towards the light. Just walk towards the light. Well, like, what is that? Well, it, it comes from Scripture. Jesus is the light. Uh, look, look what it says in, in this. It says, I, Jesus spoke and he said, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. There's a powerful spiritual metaphor with light and darkness. And so much of the world that we see in the physical manner represents something spiritually for us as well. God uh, loves creation. He made it. He made it beautiful. And so he takes natural illustrations and helps us to understand it. Well, Jesus is saying, I'm not going to leave you in the dark. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been caving before, but you go into the dark, you can't really see where you're going. I went down to Kutchner Cabins uh, not too long ago and found out some Arizona college students found that, found that spot. And, and, and then there was a moment in the tour where they turn off all the lights. I mean, you can't see your hand in front of your face. And sin is like that. It, it, you literally can't see where you're going, kind of what you're doing. And the more you get into it, the more trouble you can find yourself in. And then that's why we have that old song, I saw the light, you know? Like, it, you, Jesus is that light. He pierces the darkness. And as believers, it's not that we never need to go into dark areas of people's lives, but we got to be really careful because the Bible tells us that we are light as well and that we're to shine our light in the midst of the darkness. But the problem comes if we ourselves are getting wrapped up into sinful patterns and behaviors, then we start getting consumed with the darkness and we get overwhelmed, discouraged, and we just bail out. So is it possible for a Christian to go into very long seasons of darkness, spiritual darkness. I think it is very possible. And you say, even as a Christian, even if you have the light of Jesus in your life, like, yeah, I mean, you remember uh, Jesus says, you know, um, this little, you sang the song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I'm not going to let Satan it out. I'm going to let it shine. Or don't hide it under a bushel. A bushel, man, look at that word. Uh, don't hide it. So there is a possibility that you can kind of get yourself into a dark season and get yourself into a funk. And you need to be reminded that you have left the dominions of darkness and you need to walk and live a life that is open, has integrity and honesty and vulnerability. Ephesians 5, 8 through 11, the apostle Paul writes to a group of Christians that are struggling with kind of dipping their toe into darkness or going into areas of seasons of darkness in their life. And he says, that I, don't, I want you to remember where you came from. Verse 8, for once you were full of darkness, meaning your whole life was, there's the no, Jesus is nowhere to be found. That was me. <laughs> nowhere to be found. My whole life was filled with darkness. 
And I was lost. And that's why people say as Christians, dude, he's lost. She's lost. They're, it's darkness. They can't see what God is trying to do in their life and what's good, what's right, what's wrong. But now you have the light from the Lord, so live as people of the light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. And so what do you do? Verse 10, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. That'd be good for you and me. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Where do you feel God's pleasure in your life? Where you're like, I think this, God loves this when I do this. I feel close to God when I'm doing this. So the Apostle Paul tells uh, the church in Ephesus about sin and leaving darkness, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. That's where I want to zero in on how to deal with sin is we got to expose them. Expose what? Expose sin. So here's what we're going to do. I'm just going to ask for volunteers to come up and just share all your sin. (laughs) Boy, that would be very uncomfortable, wouldn't it? You're going to see it's quite the opposite. How to deal with sin. Number one, you share with one another. You share with one another. Notice it doesn't say uh, share. uh, I didn't say share with everybody. That's the worst thing you could do. And the reason why is because there's a lot of foolish people out there, and you're probably friends with them. And, uh, and there's wise people out there too, and I hope you have some of those people in your life. And then there's evil people. And when you're dealing with sin, the last thing you need to do is share your sin with somebody who's foolish. See, that word one another, that's actually all throughout the Bible, um, all throughout the New Testament, explicitly, repeatedly, continually referring to safe people who, who love God and, and, and want to, they care about the church community. So sharing with one another is this phrase called confession. And confession is a part of the Christian uh, theology. I don't think it's the part of the Christian vocabulary. Unless you come from a Catholic background and you know confession. But even in that, you're going to a priest. Like you, don't ha- you don't have to go to a priest to confess your sins. But do you need to go to God? Yeah, you need to go to God. But specifically in dealing with sin, it's really helpful to share what's going on in your life with somebody else, the one another. You don't share with a foolish person. You don't share with evil people. You, sh- you share with safe people, wise people. And I think what happens so many times in today's culture is like, we hit a roadblock, something bad happens, and then what do we do? We, we don't share with just one another. We share with everybody. And who do we share with? We, we share crazy, deep secrets and details online on Facebook. Just air it out. Keyboard courage. And then it's really difficult to understand how to respond to some of these people that air out all their garbage online. Like, if that's how we're going to try to deal with it, that, that is so dangerous and so dysfunctional. I'm sorry. So if that's you, I'm sorry. You shouldn't do that. And here's the why. Because that doesn't really help you. That actually is going to hurt you further. People are going to see that. And I've seen even pastors do it before. They come up and they blurt out all their sins. And then you're like, dude, well, that's terrible. You know what, that, what we need to do is you share with one another. So let me ask you a question. Who's the one another in your life? So here's what the, uh, uh, 
the apostle um, James said, he said uh, very close to Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus, um, because they share the same mom. Jesus has got God as a dad. So, you know. Um, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. How do you deal with sin? You confess. To who? To one another. Who's the one another? The safe people in your life. How many one another's do you have? I think you probably have two or three. I don't think you have a lot more than that. You may think you do, but you probably don't. The one another are the close people in your life that you're like, man, I I spend time with them and I share what's going on. They don't condemn me, but they do challenge me. They give me strength to do what's right. They're safe and I'm thankful for them. You need these kind of people. And what happens in these moments when you have these people in your life, they can heal you. It's a healing experience because you go to them and you're in vulnerability and confession and you're sharing, this is what I'm going through. I just need to be reminded of God's grace and God's grace and his mercy begins to pour into your life as that person prays for you and encourages you. And you find healing. So how do you deal with sin? Number one, you share that with one another. And look what Proverbs says, Proverbs 28, 13. It says this, people who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive what? Mercy. See, mercy is available, but sometimes you need somebody to remind you that it is available. Like if you're living the religious lifestyle and you think you got to be perfect to get God's favor and love, man, you've missed it. Maybe you need a friend to tell you like, hey, man, I, I do think that you are going off the deep end there and that's wrong and you shouldn't do that, but you do know you have God's grace and mercy, right? Well, I forgot. You know, uh, uh, Martin Luther, the famous church reformer, he had a really good buddy named uh, David uh, Stoppitz and uh, he was like a mentor to Luther and this is uh, back in... 15th, 16th century, and uh, Luther's the one who's responsible for the Protestant Reformation, which was a very good thing, got scriptures into the hands of people, kind of important. Uh, It was all in Latin, nobody could read it, except for the priests and the educated, and everybody else is like, I'd like to have an in on the reading of the Bible. Luther says, I'll translate it. Boom, he translates the New Testament and starts printing it. But he had a mentor, and David, he would go to David and And he struggled with the religious lifestyle, Luther did, because he just thought he came out of that deep Catholic background, and he just was trying to earn his way into heaven, in a sense. And Dave, David Stoppitz told him, he said, you know, know, Luther, what you do is oftentimes when you're reading all the New Testament passages about grace and mercy available, and you think of all these other people that get it, but it's about for yourself too. And I think so many times we can come to church and go, hmm, that was a good message for you, baby, for you. Oh, that's one for my kid. Oh, that's for my brother. That's my coworker, jacked up coworker. No, but it's for you. You know, every time I preach, I, let it, I always say at North Valley, I never preach in the pulpit what I haven't first taught at the table. I think the last thing people need in life is somebody who's fake or a phony or just going through the motions. 
And so when I came to this section on dealing with sin, I thought, man, this is, this is good. I think we forget this sometimes. And the Bible tells us that when we conceal our sins, we're not going to prosper. It's not going to work out. But if we turn from them, then we're going to receive mercy. Number two, I want to challenge you how to deal with it is that you talk to God about it. So important. This is probably easier for you uh, maybe to talk to God about it if you're uh, 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 um, in some way. For some of you, it may not be. Maybe you'd rather share with somebody else, but you don't really want to talk to God about it. Um, it just depends. There's been times in my life when I'm dealing with something in my marriage, I'll want to talk with my wife, Leslie, first and deal with it. And then she's like, well, have you talked to God about it? I'm like, oh yeah, I got to do that. I forgot about that. Like, that's pretty important. If you're going to deal with sin, you got to talk to God about it. Um, some of you would definitely not want to talk to your spouse about your struggles and you'll just talk to God about it, but you don't want to talk to your spouse or a good friend. You know, you don't want to talk to a good friend. Uh, but you'd rather just talk to God about it. But this is really important. When you're dealing with sin, the biblical theological word that you need to hold on to is repentance. And it just means, literally, repentance means that you're just turning from your sin. So you're just saying, you know what? This is wrong. Like, there's freedom in saying that. I was wrong. Here's some important words. I was wrong. My mistake. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Those are some of the most powerful words you could ever say. Uh, so when, when you're talking to God about it, you're repenting, you're turning away from sin, and you're turning towards your Savior. And that's what he's for. That, that's, what he, that's why he came to save. He doesn't say, oh, shoot, you have way too much. Go back. Go back. No, no. So he doesn't do that. You just turn away from your sin, turn your back on it, and move towards righteousness and living for Christ. So what happens when you do that? Here's good news. I think people miss this all the time. They get frustrated about repentance. Oh, repentance, that's for the fundamentalists. That's for the Bible and the bigots and all that. No, 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 no. Repentance is a very, very good word. Acts 3.19, the apostle Paul says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that a times of refreshing may come from the Lord. So, why don't we feel refreshed a lot of times? Because we're not turning away from our sin. And sin stinks. Sin is rotten. Sin is no good. It may look on the good on the outside, but it doesn't look good on the inside. I heard a story uh, about a young boy who went to the uh, uh, beach over here in California and uh, got a bunch of seashells, put them in the back of his dad's trunk, these huge shells, and I guess he didn't know there were living creatures in there. And so he leaves them in the trunk and then they get home and the dad's like, what is that smell? And his son's like, oh, I've got these beautiful seashells. I want to put them up on the, on the mantle, the fireplace. And the father's like, they stink so bad. And the son says, well, how could they stink so bad? They look so good on the outside. And, and the dad says, yeah, but they're rotten on the inside. I think so many times in the Christian life, what we do is we focus on the outside. And if we look good on the outside, we forget about what's on the inside. And so if you're not feeling refreshed in your spiritual life, perhaps you've just got some rotten stuff on the inside. It just needs to be dealt with. And so how do you do that? You've got to let it be cleaned out. You invite God in. It's like you're saying, God, I want you to come in and just take out all the, the bad. And I want you to fill me with good. Or take this illustration. My son uh, 15 years old, he doesn't like to take out the trash, but if he doesn't take out the trash, what happens to the house? It begins to stink. Repentance is like taking out the trash. You just got to get, get rid of it. 
but you take it to the right person. You don't just take it to one corner of your house unless you're a hoarder, which those shows are crazy, you know. And um, you, you take it to the trash man and let the trash man take care of it. Jesus is like a trash man in many ways. He takes a lot of trash, but he deals with it. And he's the only one who can really deal with it. And so we don't give it to our brother or our sister or our mom or Facebook. Although it's important to share with one another, we give it to God. And so that's what we've got to do. Biblical words like confession and repentance need to be a part of the Christian vocabulary. Not just a part of the Christian theology. That's how you think and understand God. But it needs to be a part of your vocabulary. Like, if you have uh, some seriously strained relationships, you take the ownership and ask these words, ask these questions. Is there confession going on in this? Has anybody done any repenting? If it's no on those two, you're for sure going to have a very dysfunctional, very darkened experience. If it's yes, there's plenty of hope. Your probability is great. Most marriages don't really understand the confession or the repentance. Most relationships really struggle with that. And then you get bitterness, frustration, anger, and resentment. Repentance is taking out the trash. It's getting rid of the the rotten. And it's dealing with it in a healthy manner. And Jesus came to help us with that. Number three, you know this one. I won't spend a lot of time on it. But how to deal with sin, you just avoid it altogether. So, I mean, I knew guys that were alcoholics, and we've got folks that are in our church that are recovering alcoholics. Like, you, you, you don't invite them over to, to have one beer, or they'll steal all your beer and drink your beer. You, you just avoid it altogether. So whatever struggle that you have, you don't flirt with it and get as close to the line of temptation as possible. You just avoid it altogether. Here's what it says in Thessalonians, abstain from every form of evil, what you watch, what you say, what you do, who you hang out with, just be careful. Avoid it. You just do better off. Don't walk into that temptation. If If your struggle happens late at night, don't stay up late at night. If your struggle happens at alone, when you're alone, don't, don't be alone as much. You, you can figure this out. You, so 2 Timothy 2.22, this is what the Apostle Paul says to his protege. He says, run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. So he's talking to Timothy, a young guy. He says, but here's what you need to do. Instead, you need to do something different. So you abstain. He says, I want you to abstain. Run from it. Run. Get away from it. And this is what we always tell our, our kids, right? Like, if your friend does this, then you just go the other way. But like, we need that too. So run from it, get away from it, but instead do what? What do I do? This is what you do, and hardly anybody realizes this is probably the greatest way that you overcome sin. Instead, do this. Pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. So how do you deal with sin? You abstain but then you do something else you, that's leaving it, running away from it, and that's important. But then you pursue something really great. What do you pursue? Pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Well, who's, who's the source of 
all righteousness? Who's the source of all faithfulness? Who's the source of all love? Who's the source of all peace? Jesus. Amen. John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Who abides in me and I in him? He it is that bears much fruit. In other words, what this means is that when, you're, when you immerse yourself and you say, God, I want to grow. I need, I need Bible teaching. I need Bible reading. I need to be in prayer because I find you there. Lord, I need to get outside and just enjoy the creation so I can fuel up and connect with you. That's abiding. I don't know what your pathway to spiritual growth is. I mean, I hope it includes Bible reading and prayer. But for some people, it's maybe it's serving. Some people, it's more so it's a deep in study, or maybe it's music. Like, there's a lot of ways you can grow as a Christian. But this abide concept, pursue a relationship with Jesus, that's abidance. That's abiding. The most powerful way that you can overcome sin in your life is to fill your life up with good things so there's no room, no desire. You're fully satisfied. And so you might say, well, what is this fruit that, that he talks about? The Apostle Paul clarified it. Uh, he says this, the Holy Spirit produces this kinds of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I don't know where you need help right now in your life. I don't know if it's self-control or if it's just goodness or faithfulness. And you probably say, all of it. I need help in all of it. But maybe there's one or two areas that are really pressing in this season for you right now. And here's what I would challenge you to do is realize that Jesus Christ is the source of all that. So the greatest love that you could ever offer anybody is a love that's sourced in God. I mean, the Bible even tells us God is love. Yeah. God is, is joy. Maybe you're struggling with joy. You're like, I don't have joy. Well, study joy. Uh, joy is, is, uh, is a, a happiness despite your happenings. It's a, it's a, it's a level of inner uh, fortitude of understanding, like in the midst of a crazy time, you can, you're still good. So I want to encourage you to, to realize that you can uh, maybe pick one of these areas of your life and just begin to pray and ask God for help in it and maybe talk to a friend about it. So in closing, I just want to encourage you as a, as a church and to realize there's no perfect people in this church, uh, but there is a perfect one. And uh, when we look at the reason for the season, we can have great hope and great encouragement knowing that Jesus came to help us and heal in Jesus' name. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I pray that we would, Lord, uh, we would deal with it so we can heal from it. I pray that we would move forward, Father, in, uh, in being able to celebrate and being thankful that you came to save people from their sin. And Father, any incredible heavy load and burden of maybe guilt or shame that is present in this room, I pray that they would turn that over to you and they would find forgiveness, hope, and healing in you, Jesus. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.